Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. It's good to be here with you again, both those that are in person and those that are joining us online as we continue our walk through the gospel of John, life in his name, life in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at a very familiar story. In fact, uh, this is one of the most familiar uh, miracles of Jesus in all of Scripture. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, this is the one miracle of all of Jesus' miracles. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's recorded in in the, the three synoptics as well as here in the Gospel of John. And so what I want to do for a little context is, uh, is look at what was going on that led up to this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 14, gives us a great picture of what was happening. And let me just begin there. Matthew 14, I'm going to read a section. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. We don't have it up on the slides. The scripture says, when Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guest. He sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported it to Jesus. Here's why we we read that story first. Because the next two verses in Matthew 14 say, When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. I want you to see the context of what's going on here. Jesus has just lost a good, good friend. In fact, a family member. Someone who he loved dearly and had a connection with that I believe is even beyond what we can imagine. Jesus' connection to John the Baptist. Uh, both in the physical realm, but also also spiritually because the role that John the Baptist played in his life. Just last week in John chapter five, we looked at the fourfold witnesses that Jesus gave us of those who bore testimony that he was who he said he was, that he was the son of God. And the first of those four uh, that gave witness to, to Jesus being who he said he was, Jesus said was John the Baptist, the testimony of a man. John the Baptist is the only man that, that Jesus pointed back to for his testimony about who he was. And so Jesus had this special relationship with John the Baptist that we mentioned also last week that even went back before birth, even in the womb, you had that, that, that cool little story where, where Mary and Elizabeth had come together when Mary went, uh, left town to go hang out with her, with her cousin Elizabeth. And there, when she entered into the room, uh, the scripture says that John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And so you have this connection between Jesus and John the Baptist going all the way back to the womb. And now Jesus gets the news that his friend, that his family member 
not only was dead, but that he'd been beheaded by Herod for such nefarious reasons. And I can only imagine the grief that Jesus felt because as much as the Gospel of John has emphasized the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God, that in the beginning was the Word. John, you're gonna see this phrase in John where Jesus says, I am, the great I am. He, he says in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And so John has emphasized the deity of Christ, but what we see in this moment is the humanity of Christ. Jesus just lost a friend in a horrible way, and Jesus was hurting. Matthew says it was for that reason that Jesus went up in the mountains. He crossed the Sea of Galilee, went up into the mountains just to be there with his disciples to have some time alone. Now that sets the stage for us because John picks up the story there. John chapter six, verse one, and we're gonna look at these 15 verses that tell the story. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near, so when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into this world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, as we walk through this passage, I, I want us just to begin with that mindset of, of where Jesus was at this point, not just in his ministry, but, but where he was emotionally and, and, and spiritually, as, as he had just lost that, that good friend, and he, he seeks to get away just to spend some time to grieve. He wants to be there with his disciples. He, he needs some time to be alone, to grieve. And in that, certainly, we see the humanity of Christ and recognize that we, we understand that when we lose somebody that's close to us or when we go through a really difficult, tragic time, sometimes we just need to take a breath. And yet, here come the crowds. 
the relentless pursuit of Jesus. At this point in his ministry, he's very popular, certainly because they were seeing the miracles. They were, they were wanting to be a part of that. They were wanting to see the show. They, some of them had sick who they wanted to bring to have healed. And so they, they were coming to Jesus from all directions. And even while he was in that, that state of just being emotionally tired, Jesus, the scripture says, saw the crowds because he looked up. I don't want to move too quickly past that phrase. There in verse four, so when, or verse five, so when Jesus looked up, he noticed the huge crowds coming to him. Jesus saw others because he took his eyes off of himself. He looked up. See, part of our problem that, that, that we have, the reason that we don't fulfill the, the mission that God's called us to oftentimes is we get so wrapped up in our own world. We get so caught up in our own problems, what's going on in our, our own little household, in our own little circumstances, in our, in our own church, in our own job, and, 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 and we just focus on me and mine. And, and what I'm going through. And, and we can list off all of the problems and all of the challenges and all the difficulties we have. And if we'll never take our eyes off of ourselves, we will never see those around us who are in need. I had a, a deacon that was an uh, old friend of mine at First Baptist Church, May. And he had told me that he made a decision years before that he would never use the drive through at a bank. The main reason was he wanted to go in and talk to people. He said, if we continue to use the drive-throughs, and, and, and I would move that forward to where we are now, we use self-checkouts, and, and, and we continue to isolate ourselves. I don't even have to go to the bank to deposit a check anymore. If I get a check, I can pull out my phone, I can take a picture of it, I can send it through the app on my phone. I never have to talk to another human being. Well, there's some introverts here that would say, yes! <laughs> Praise God for that! But if we're so introverted that we never look up and see people, we can never fulfill, fulfill the ministry and the mission to which God has called us. Jesus, in the midst of his own grief, his own loss, he, he could have easily said, look, just, just stay away, give me a day. Just back off for a little bit. Instead, he took his eyes off of his grief and he looked out and he saw the crowds. And after he looked up, he saw that they had a need. Now, this is not, it's not like it required Jesus to have some supernatural power to see that these people were about to be hungry. In fact, uh, some of the, the synoptics tell us that the crowds had been with him all day. Jesus, after he saw the crowds coming, was healing the sick, Matthew says. And so Jesus had already taken his eyes off of himself, started to reach out and minister to those around him, and started to meet their physical needs. And he did it to this extent all day long so that they were, and he was teaching them, and it was getting dark, and they were going to be hungry. And so here in John's record of, of this story, Jesus looks over at Philip and he says, uh, where can we go buy bread so that these people can eat? 
Now, they were out in the middle of the wilderness. There was no, you know, Kroger to go buy bread at. And even if there was, Philip makes the point, even if we had 200 days worth of wages, we could only buy enough for everybody to have a little bitty bit. There's no way we could feed this crowd. In fact, John points out in, in, in the text here, he says that there were 5,000 men. Matthew takes the next step when, when he says there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So only the men were included in that count of 5,000. There were, there were their wives, there were their sisters, there were kids that were there with them. So you're talking about a huge crowd who had gathered around Jesus, who had come out of all of the cities, all of the towns to hear what he had to say, to see him do these miracles, to see him perform these signs. And, and Jesus looks at Philip and says, Hey, where are we going to get some food for them to eat? Well, Jesus saw their need. So just as we don't want to rush past that first verse, Jesus looked up. He had to take his eyes off of himself to look up. He saw what their real needs were. If we don't ever take time to look at people around us, we will never see their need. We can get so caught up, especially now, hiding behind our mask that we never have to take time to see or to try to meet the needs of those around us. This is one of my, one of my big struggles when I'm in a restaurant. Part of it comes with me being hard of hearing. And in a restaurant, it's hard to hear what's going on. I gotta get Susan to interpret to me uh, sometimes, especially if the waitress has a high-pitched voice. And so one of the struggles that I'm facing, though, is, is I'm so caught up in my little world trying to make sure that I get my order and that I get things taken care of and I get something to eat that I don't take time to look that waitress or that waiter in the eye and treat them, communicate with them as a person and not as just someone who's serving me. And it's a challenge for us to look up beyond ourselves and to see the needs of those that are around us. I've got, there's some great church members here that are really a whole lot better at that than I am. I was at lunch with one of our, our church members a while back and the waitress uh, began to, as she came over and was taking our order and he just engaged her and said, hey, we're gonna pray for our meal in a minute. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And she told him some of the struggles that she was going through and then after she, he left the tip, he left an extra couple hundred dollars because he saw her need and felt like God had called him, told him specifically he needed to meet that need. He would have never seen her need if he hadn't have taken time to look up and to see her where she was for who she is. Jesus looked up and he didn't just see crowds. <laughs> he didn't just see a whole bunch of leeches who were coming to get something from him, which in a lot of ways, that's what the gospel writers describe. They were coming because there was something they wanted to get from Jesus. Jesus saw people who were hungry. And so he addresses that need. Now, I love the way that he addresses it because Jesus did not go to the inner circle. You know, when we see, uh, read the Gospels, and we, we've learned about uh, Jesus had, you know, the 12 disciples that were the closest group that were following him, and they had this inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and those are the guys that we hear about the most. I just love the fact that Jesus engaged with Philip and Andrew here. 
He's, he's bringing them along. He asked Philip, hey, where are we going to get enough to feed these guys? He didn't ask the treasurer. For some reason, he asked Philip. Philip needed to be engaged and needed to be brought into that conversation at this point. And so Philip answers him, as, as we said, hey, I don't know where we're going to get it. We don't have enough money. There's no way we could buy enough food for these people. And then uh, Andrew <laughs> comes up. And I love Andrew here because Andrew is either showing a lot of faith or not showing any faith at all. I'm not sure how to take this. Because Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus and says, hey, there's a little boy here that has a couple fish and five barley loaves. And, and I'm like going, yes, Andrew. Andrew gets it. And then Andrew says, but what's that gonna do? What good's that gonna be for all of these people? I mean, come in, Andrew. You had your chance to show your faith. But instead, Andrew comes to him and, and he says, hey, Jesus, this little boy. And I get the impression that this little boy offered his lunch. Now, the scripture is not real clear here. I assume that the little boy heard what was going on and offered his lunch. Because I don't think that Andrew would have gone over and stolen the little boy's lunch and taken it to Jesus. And I don't think that Jesus would have gone over and swiped the little boy's lunch. So it, it, just knowing the character of Christ at this point, Andrew points out, hey, there's this little boy. He's offering his lunch. I don't know what good that's going to do. Uh, certainly what we do know, and this is why I worded this point carefully here, the little boy surrendered his lunch. He gave his lunch over to Jesus and put it in, in Jesus' hands. Now, what the little boy brought was not nearly enough. There's no way that those disciples could have somehow fed 5,000 men plus, upwards maybe of 20,000 people. There's no way they could have fed that crowd with this little boy's lunch of two fish and five little loaves of bread. But when you take that lunch and you put it in Jesus' hands, that's when the miracles happen. I want you to notice something about what this little boy did though. First of all, this little boy had to give up his lunch. <laughs> he had to give up all that he had. It didn't look like enough. It wasn't, there wasn't enough there to, to feed anybody except for himself. He couldn't even fed Jesus and the disciples with that lunch. But he gave up everything that he had. There's no indication that he said, hey, uh, you know, I got two fish and five loaves here. How about, how about I go ahead and eat one of the fish and two of the loaves and I'll give you all the rest. You do it with it what you want. That's, there's no indication that he did that. He surrendered all that he had over to Christ to do what Jesus and only Jesus could do with it. Why is that important? Far too often, we want to negotiate with Christ. We know what he's asking of us, but we only want to give up some. We don't want to give up all. And implicit in that is this selfishness, or maybe it's not an evil selfishness, it's just this idea that I've got to feed myself. I've got to take care of my needs. The little boys are thinking, I'm hungry, I need to eat too. I'll bring what I have left over. And far too often, what we bring to Jesus are the leftovers out of our life and not everything. God desires that we surrender all over to him. And when we surrender our lives over to him, then 
he can do something special with it. But that requires that we trust God, that we trust him to take care of our needs, our family, our circumstances, our situation. We, we have to come to a place where we're willing to say, Lord, you've asked for everything. I'm going to lay it on the line and I'm trusting you to take care of me. He doesn't ask for some. He asks for all. There's an old hymn, invitation hymn that we've sung many times here. It's a popular invitation hymn uh, titled, I Surrender All. I have submitted, and I don't think I'm the only one that, that has said this, but that is probably more Baptist, more Christians have probably lied singing that song than any other song. Because oftentimes we sing, I surrender all, and God's saying, what about that? And we're going, well, let's hold off on that a little bit. What we ought to be saying is, I surrender some. Because that's generally how we bring our lives to Christ. It's only because this boy came and he surrendered everything over to Christ that Jesus then took that and worked miracles with it. And there's an implicit trust that we have to have in God before we put our life fully and completely in his hands? Are you willing to surrender it all over to him so that he can do something special with it? And then what we see, and I love just John's narrative even here. John's not known for his great narrative. John's, John's got a thesis that he's working out here. But I love this part of the narrative. Jesus said, tell everybody to sit down. And John said, there's a lot of grass in that place. So they sat down. I'm like, were they not going to sit down if there wasn't grass? Uh, he didn't want them to sit on the rocks. But John, John includes that for some reason. There was plenty of grass there. Jesus had already taken care of it. It was all laid out. It was all planned. So there's plenty of grass there. So they sat down. And then we see this incredible miracle and what took place. When the boy handed that lunch off to Jesus, when he handed that two fish and five barley loaves off to Jesus, Jesus gave thanks he prayed over it, and they distributed that lunch until everybody was fed, everybody was full, and then he told the disciples to take baskets and go collect the leftovers so that nothing goes to waste, and they collected 12 baskets of it. Our gifts, our talents, our sacrifices in our hands may not be enough. But when they are put in the hands of Christ, they are more than enough. This week, as I was working through this text and writing out the sermon, the Lord had put on my heart to call and visit with a couple of church members. And one in particular, as I was talking to her, she, she gave me this quote. And uh, I told her, it was Brenda DeVore, and I said, I, if you don't mind, I'm gonna include that in the message. And I wanna give her credit for it. But she said this, what she has learned is when our goal is to bless others, God goes to work and answers our prayers in ways that we could never imagine possible. When we bring our offering to him, and we lay it at his feet. And our goal is the selfless goal, not to get what we can out of it, not to get our pat on the back, but when we come and we offer what we have and we lay it down so that God can use it to accomplish his purposes, 
God will answer those prayers. He will use those gifts in ways that we could never even imagine. He will multiply them and accomplish his purpose in incredible, amazing ways. My talent, my gifts, my offerings in my hands can accomplish very little. But talent, any talent, any gift, any offering, when it's surrendered fully to Christ, can accomplish miracles. I want you to hear that. Because how often do we say, I just, I, I just don't really have much I can bring to the table. I, I, I don't have anything that's worth offering for God's kingdom. I don't have a lot of money. I can't sing. I can't play the piano. I, I, I'm not very talented. I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I'm not an evangelist. I, I can't go out and share the gospel because I, I just don't, I'm afraid to or I don't know enough. I just can't, but because I, I'm not enough. My gifts, my talents aren't enough. What this passage and what this miracle reminds us of is if we will bring our gift, regardless of how meager, and we will lay it at the foot of Christ and we will offer it over to him, it is enough. Whoever you are, Whatever your gift, whether it's a gift of encouragement to build up others, it is enough to fulfill the purposes of God's kingdom if you will lay it down at his feet and offer it to him to be used for his glory and for his honor. And I want you to notice something that happens here. when, when Nobody talks about the little boy who fed the 5,000. I've never heard this story referenced in that way. What I hear it referenced as, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? It's not the little boy who feeds the 5,000. There's no way with his meager gift, his meager offering that he could have fed the 5,000. But you know what frustrates me? How many times do I hear somebody give credit? Look at that pastor that grew that great church. No, he didn't. If God grew his church, God grew the church. He might have used that pastor's talent, his voice, his words, his intellect, but it's God who deserves the glory for it, not any man. And, and it's so important for us to understand that when we offer our gifts and, and our talents over to him, for him to use for his honor, for his glory, he's the one who deserves the credit for it, not us. And he's the one who ought to get it, not us. When we begin to get filled with pride and thinking that it's us, if that little boy puffed up his chest, started going around, hey, look at how I fed the 5,000. I'm the feeder of 5,000s. Then somebody's gonna say, well, hey, get your lunch out and go feed some more. And all of a sudden, he's gonna realize how powerless and impotent he is. It reminds me of faith healers who will go around and say, look, I'm a healer, look what I can do. No, you can't. If the healing power resides in your fingertips, in your hands, in your words, get to the hospital and get to work. Even the, the, the gift of healing in 1 Corinthians 12, Scripture says is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God that can work through the believer, through our meager gifts. Through, through a, a, a complete broken vessel, God can use us to accomplish glorious things. So that he gets the honor and he gets the glory for it, not us. The little boy was never a feeder of 5,000s. 
The little boy is a, is a young man who surrendered what he had over to Jesus. And Jesus used it to fulfill his kingdom purposes. Every one of us can be like that little boy. Every one of us can bring what we have and put it in the hands of Jesus and trust him to accomplish his purpose with it. Our gifts in Jesus' hands are enough. Whatever it is you bring to the table, when you put it in his hands, it is enough. Jesus can multiply our meager offerings to do incredible things. He can accomplish his purposes. He can fulfill miracles. You know, a couple years ago, I, I remember when the Lord is working through this church and it, it had to, we were getting ready to do this remodel and, and the, the remodel for the nursery and the bathrooms out there was just astronomically high. I mean, I've been in construction and just dealing with things in the city, dealing with all of the, everything that we had to go through, all the coding and all the upgrades and all that just seemed astronomically high for the amount of construction that we were doing. And yet God led this church to do it and we did not have, there, there was no way that we could afford to do it. I had a church member who is a man of faith, especially in leading, leading this church in, in financial ways. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, we, we can't do that. Why in the world are we asking the church to try to raise that amount of money? It's more money than, it was three times the amount of money than the church had raised in a year, a couple years before to pay off debt. How are we gonna ask the church to raise three times that amount of money and only do it in five months? And I said, I don't know. I don't. The committee that God's called to pray about this and to seek his direction, if they don't know either, they're scared to even bring it to the church. But all we can do is be obedient. The Lord's told us to bring it. So we bring it to the church and the church says, okay, if that's what the Lord's calling us to do, we don't know how it's gonna happen, but let's trust him and let's see. And many of y'all were here and you saw that happen. In a little over a five month period, God poured out his blessing and, and, and took care of every penny of it. We would have never gotten to see the power of God at work had we not first trusted him. And that was the biggest issue was just trusting God to say, look, we can't do it. We don't see how it's gonna happen. There's no way two fish and five loaves can feed 5,000. There's no way that where we were, we could, we could pay off that and, 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 and do that before the building was even started, before the construction was started, to do that in five months. There's just no way. We believe that God can, but God, he's going to have to do something crazy to see that happen. And he did. Now, I also understand that some of you, some of us, had to give up our lunch. There, there were people that came to me and said, God has called me to sacrifice. And, and God's called me to give above and beyond what I, I thought I could give. And so some of you did just that. You gave up your lunch, so to speak. But God provided. None of us have gone hungry, have we? In fact, I've heard more and more stories about how God blessed exponentially those who surrendered the most. God can take what we have and use it for his glory to accomplish his purposes so that only he gets the glory for it. There's not anybody around that's gonna say, well, look how Pastor Dennis brought all that money in to get that built because we know Pastor Dennis doesn't have the money. 
and he's not a fundraiser. I hate dealing with money. All I can do is stand back and say, God, if you're gonna do something, you gotta do it. And he did it, and he gets the glory for it. That's the, the, the picture that we have here. This little boy surrendered everything. Jesus used it for his purpose. And the last connection that I want you to make here is it didn't stop with just filling bellies. It, it didn't just accomplish the purpose of meeting somebody's physical need. Because as much as you or I can look at our upcoming Sharing Christmas event, and we know that sometimes the way that you, you get to the heart of someone, the way that you touch them spiritually is you go through that door of meeting a physical need. And so we've seen that in the past when, when, when we can love on people and we can, we can feed them when they're hungry, we can meet them where they are and we can touch them with the love of Christ that can open the door so that they're receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, we recognize that, that there, there's, a, there's a financial calculation to some, in some extent that goes into it. We, we can collect a certain amount of food. We can collect a certain number of turkeys. We can, we can distribute the names for people to adopt the children, to buy gifts for. We can do all of that and we can add that and we can calculate. We can say, well, we, we know we're gonna have this many families that have reached out to us. This is how we're gonna go about it. And so we can make sure that we have enough turkeys and enough food and enough food boxes and enough gift cards and everything that we need to bless those families when, when like this year is going to be so different. We're not going to get to go into their homes because of these COVID restrictions, but families will come by and we'll be able to hand these gifts to them as they come by the church. And so we can calculate how to meet that, na- that need, but there's not a single one of us who can fulfill the ultimate purpose of reaching that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can open their heart and save a lost soul. No man has ever saved a soul. Only the Spirit of God at work in the heart of man can open their heart and and, and provide that entrance. Now, let let me back up to one more thing here that I think is so crucial and important. One thing that I hear, one complaint I hear about the reason that, that we don't share the gospel is far too many people will say, well, I I just don't know enough. You know, I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't gone to Bible school. I haven't gone to college. And and, and I don't know enough of the gospel. What if they ask me tough questions? And some of it comes out of this this issue of fear. But some of it is just rooted in this idea that we, we don't feel like we're theologically sound enough. But I want to remind you of what my friend Dr. Matt Queen says time and time again. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, you know enough of the gospel to share it. If you know enough of the gospel, if you're a born-again believer and you have put your faith in Christ and you know enough of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're saved, you know enough of the gospel to tell someone else so that they can be saved. Well, you would say, well, that's not very much. All I know is that I'm a sinner and that Christ died on the cross for me and he rose again. That's all you need to know. Because if you can share that with somebody who is dying and desperate and needs Jesus, the Holy Spirit can take your words and implant those words in their heart and they can be transformed by his power because he's the only one who could save. 
what you see happen at the end of this text is after people were fed, in verse 14 down there, the scripture says, when they saw these signs, they said, truly this is the prophet that's come into the world. They took that step of faith, a spiritual step, and some of them seeing those signs recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Now there was still a misunderstanding about what the Messiah was going to do. And a lot of the Jews thought the Messiah was going to come to be a, a ruler, a physical ruler, a king. And so some of them wanted to make him king right then, and Jesus wasn't having it, so he got out of there. But I want you to, to understand this point. It is through the, the sign of the physical, meeting the physical need of those people who were there that were hungry, that some people begin to come to faith. They begin to see Jesus for who he says he was. Just like when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, the scripture says many who were there that day believed. There were others who didn't and decided that they had to go tell the Pharisees so they'd get Jesus killed. But many believe. That's a good point for us to remember. You can share the faith. You can bring your offering. You can, you can give somebody the, the, the words. You can tell them about how to come to faith in Christ. Some are going to receive it and some aren't. And it's not because of the size of your gift. It's the power of God that's going to take your gift and apply it to their lives. And it's if they will, they're going to have to come to that point where they trust the Lord. Whether or not your offering makes an eternal impact is not dependent upon how smart you are, how good you are, how much college you have. Whether or not your offering makes an eternal impact is really kind of dependent on two things. One, that you lay it down completely at the altar and you turn it over to Jesus. And then two, let him do with it what he's going to do with it. Because it's in his hands. Your hope of fulfilling God's purpose and his mission is not based upon the size of your gift or how talented you are. It's based upon you surrendering it over to Christ where he can multiply it and use it for his glory to accomplish his purposes. As we come to the end of this text, the, the, the message today certainly is for those of us who are believers to ask that question, am I surrendering my heart and my life, everything that I have, everything that I am, am I surrendering it at the feet of Jesus so that he can use it for his purposes, for his glory? And you, only you know only you and God know your heart. As close as I get to many of my people as a pastor, I still don't know. You know what's going on in your heart. And the Spirit of God will speak into your heart. And he'll reveal areas in your life that you haven't surrendered over to him. And when he does, you have a choice then of giving that area over to him or denying his lordship in your life and saying no. And ultimately, it's only when you surrender that area over to him that then he's going to be able to use it. When you surrender that talent, that gift, in obedience to him, he'll be able to multiply it for his purposes. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you were encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's word. 
Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.